Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, it is a pleasure to be able to uh, give get back in this way to, uh, in the name of Christ, be able to serve you the word as you have uh, so graciously and lovingly accepted my family these last few months as we've been uh, worshiping here uh, and loving on us. So would you uh, please join me in prayer? Gracious, almighty, wonderful Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Illuminate our hearts and our minds to be able to grasp and receive your word, to understand truth, clarify directions, clarify who you are, clarify where we live and what we are to do, clarify who Christ is. As Chad said, there's so many things competing for, for our minds and, and trying to be our teachers. Would you please be our guide? We pray this in Christ's holy and perfect name. Amen. As uh, it is holiday season, there is this absolute excitement, and every year the, the lights come out a little bit earlier, and, and I love it. I'm one of those guys that say more to it, and we, we already have a tree up, and we went for a walk last night, and there's lights everywhere, and uh, excited for the lights, excited for Christmas, but excited for Emmanuel, God with us, right? And, and, and as a church, uh, and, and as believers, we know that this season celebrates Christ coming into the world. But as I am, am honest and I sit and I reflect, as I have lots of time to do, and you reflect too, and you, you think about the world and maybe your own hearts, as I, as I look at my own heart and I look at the church, I, I sometimes sense that something is off. There's something that off of, during the season, it's very easy to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, but that can wear off. As I reflect on my entire life and in the holiday seasons and the not holiday seasons, the weeks in and the weeks out, I just sometimes got to say, I don't always feel that reality of God with us, that God is here. I also sense, and I see it in others as as a pastor, I'm often meeting with people and I'm asking people spiritual questions and where they're at. And I see anxiety, I see worry, and I see frustration in, in Christians as well. And as I reflect upon this, I I think there's two underlying issues at hand that we struggle with. Number one is, I don't think we always have a correct understanding of our situation. Meaning, I don't think we correctly understand the world that we live in and what God is doing. We get a hint of it. We get a taste of it. We kind of know the direction, but there's just something off. And then second, besides not understanding our situation, I think we, we're missing something about Jesus. There's, I mean, the minds cannot grasp Jesus, all right? Even in heaven forever and eternity, we will not grasp Jesus. We will see him clear, but we'll never have the fullness of him. But even in this world, what has been revealed about Jesus, I don't know if we fully grasp as much. And so here's the situation that I often see happen in my life and others, is that we have our current understanding of the world and what God is doing, and then we have a bunch of optimism, okay? We we are optimistic about this life and this world and, and our opportunities and what we have, and then we think, I just need to add some Jesus to it. I just need to add Jesus to that. 
I have my worldview, I have my opportunities, I have my goals, and I definitely want to add Jesus. And it's, it, we know that's right, that Jesus is needed, but we also, is that what Christianity is about? That we have an understanding that our worldview just needs a little Jesus sprinkled on it? I picture like a salad. Salad, you put in all the veggies in this big bowl and you've got, uh, my wife makes amazing salads with like kale and stuff I never ate before, blue cheese and almonds and peppers and mushrooms in there. But we all know a salad is nothing without dressing. And so you're like, you have to have dressing. So we douse it in dressing that it has to have the dressing. And we kind of maybe sometimes operate like that with our own lives. What we put in the bowl is, is our work, our vacations, our relationships, our finances, our hopes, um, our sports, our clothes, all this stuff. But, but we know that that's not enough. You need to add more. We were built for more. So we need to add Jesus. So we start dousing our life with Jesus. We go to church. We read Bible, the Bible. We, we, we do study groups. We pray. We, we, we sing. And we're covered with Jesus. And that's, that's what we ought to do. We ought to douse our entire lives with Jesus, right? We all, we all know that's correct. And have you tried to do that in your life? And do you understand that that's, that's right? I mean, Jesus should encompass and touch every part of your life. And you might be familiar with this and, and have been living this way as I have, as it comes upon December 14th will be 19 years that I've been a Christian. And it came to San Diego, unbeliever in the Navy, a friend invited me to the church and boom, God grabbed me by the, by the neck, transformed me. And it has been amazing the last 19 years, but something else, something else you understand, it's also been very hard. It's also been very hard times. Have you ever ha- had this uh, uh, pictured your Christian life like this? You've doused your whole life with Jesus, all the different areas, and you try to implement him and, and, and bring him into the conversation with your work and your finances and your relationships. But at some point you say, huh, I don't taste the dressing. Huh, I, I don't sense the presence of the dressing. And honestly, if we're honest, sometimes we can say this salad actually doesn't taste very good. You are not alone if you are a Christian and you have thought at some times, I can't see God. I don't sense God. God is not helping me and God is not with me. Have you felt that or am I alone? I, 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 I live in that moment at multiple times throughout the last 19 years. But I I read scripture and that God does not want that. God speaks very clearly that that's not the reality. And so through this passage, through this sermon, through these texts, God is screaming out to us, correct your vision, Jeremiah. Correct your understanding, saints. Understand who Jesus is. Understand what God is doing. And so I pray that he would answer our prayer in doing so. That outline of the sermon, just two points. One, looking at the world and trying to grasp what really is the situation. And then two, looking at Jesus and recognizing Jesus as our, our, we'll see in our text that he is the perfect high priest. So looking at our world, why did Jesus come into the world? If a stranger, an unbeliever, one of your neighbors 
comes up and says, Jim, why did Jesus enter the world? You would, you would have an answer to save us from our sins. It's real clear. Matthew one twenty one. remember the angel comes to Mary because she's with child, without a man. And she's panicking and Joseph, or, uh, her fiance is panicking. And the angel says, do not fear, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. First Timothy 1.15, Paul says, this saying is trustworthy and true. So when the Bible says this saying is trustworthy and true, guess what? It's trustworthy and true. You hold on to it. What does he say then? He says this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We, we, we grasp this. We hear it all over in the songs we just sang. Oh, Holy Night is going to be sung throughout this holiday season. And, and I'm not somebody that usually looks at lyrics, but this lyric uh, just jumped out. It says, long lay the world in error and sin and pining. Long lay the world in error and sin and pining. Pining is like, it, it's suffering, it's agonized, it's waiting. It recognizes it's destitute. The world is in sin. So simply put, Jesus Christ came into the world because the world is full of sinners. You might be new to uh, a Christianity, or if you're not new to the Christianity, just part of our, uh, what we have to grasp is uh, that, that God is creator. There's no other gods. There's not multiple gods. God's not in a battle. He's not the greatest of all gods. There's no other gods. There's one God who created it all. And, and as God, he gets rule. Bar none. Stop. Full stop. And so anything God says or commands us to do or prohibits us from doing is, is rule. And it's the rule of the land for every generation, every person, every hierarchy, whatever wealth or status you have, that is the rule. And anytime that, whether in word or deed, action, or not doing something he commands us, that's called sin. That sin and the consequence for sin is, is death. And the, so, so we have this consequence of, of sin is death. And the Bible is full of commandments, absolutely full of commandments. God is not without voice about what he commands us, demands us, his creation, all creation to do. Just look at the 10 commandments in the Bible, but there's even more. There's tons of commandments. And this is not God being petty. God is not petty. God is perfect. God is wise. So every rule, every commandment, every prohibition is perfect and right and just and deserves our obedience. And yet we are all guilty, right? We are all guilty. We're categorized as sinners. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Every single person you see on the planet is a sinner. Look at old pictures of your families. They were sinners. Look at in the, the, the ancient ruins and the people that they, they chipped on the wall. If they represented a real person, that person was a sinner. And Hebrews 10, 31 says this, the Lord will judge his people and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The perfect, right, and just God judges all his creation that does not obey his ways. That's heavy. But here's the good news. Emmanuel, God with us, as we've been proclaiming. God with us. There is salvation. There is hope. The, uh, the text that we read from Isaiah 
chapter seven, the context of this, the context of this, and I'm not going to spend much time on sin and, and, and judgment, but uh, it, it, for some of you, this is the most important part of this entire sermon. I don't care if you don't hear anything else. H- hear this, but just to touch on it briefly before we get on to the next central point is it, to show the context of, of that text and also of sin. King Ahaz is the one that God made the promise to. King Ahaz was a ruler of the Jewish people. I think he is maybe the 11th ruler um, of the nation of uh, Judah. And he was an awful, awful, evil king. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He allowed altars to other gods be in the land. And listen to this. He even took one of his own children and sacrificed it on an altar of fire and putting the baby on coals to appease a false and foreign God. And he was absolutely evil. And he represented the nation of Israel that at that time had turned their back on God. And if you don't know biblical history, God, through his grace of no worth or value in the nation of Israel themselves for anything, but God chose the nation of Israel. He said, through Abraham, from which all of Israel comes, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to bless you. But you have years later, this situation, the nation is awful, terrible, deserving, no blessing. Yet God says, I will preserve you. Because two kings have come against King Ahaz in Israel, and they're looking to destroy God's people, which they actually deserve to be destroyed. But God says, because of my glory, because of the, uh, my name, and because of my promise, I will not let you be destroyed, King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was panicking. These armies that were going to overrun them were at the gates. And God says, listen, I am not going to let them harm you. Trust me. And God even says, Ask for a sign, and I will give you a sign to show you how faithful I am. And King Ahaz was even stubborn. He said, I won't ask a sign, acting all humble, but he wasn't. And God says, fine, I'll give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be born with a child, and you will call him Emmanuel. Which this is amazing. This is amazing because, remember, all humanity is under sin. All humanity is deserves God's righteous judgment. And none of humanity, no, not one, not one king, not one prophet, can fight back the tide of God's judgment, can rescue us all from danger. Not David, not Solomon, not Isaiah, nobody can. So God says, it's so beautiful. And Isaiah 40 says, listen, comfort, comfort my people. And then he goes on to say, listen, Here is a major problem that you can't solve. But he says, my own right arm will do it. Meaning I will take it upon myself to solve this problem. And then in Isaiah 53, look at how he decides to solve it. He says this, he says, Emmanuel, God with you. And this God, when God comes and is incarnate in the world, this is what God says, how he's going to solve the problem. He said, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God because he was so poorly treated. We had to say God hates him. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace by his wounds We are healed. That is the way that God solves the sin problem. 
It is, God takes it upon himself to deliver us. And therefore, this is the situation of which we see. That God has sent himself into the world through the son, Jesus Christ. Who by a perfect life and a substitutionary death. Substitution. Tag your it. Jesus said, tag your it. I'm going to take your punishment upon myself. To satisfy God's wrath. And then after Christ rose from the dead, he says, go spread this good news. As Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Eternal judgment is not over your head anymore. Your penalty is paid for. So this points to this world is a world full of sinners. Your, your grocery store clerk is a sinner. Your Amazon driver is a sinner. I'm a sinner. Uh, your, your friends are sinners. We're all sinners and we can't help ourselves, but God has sent Emmanuel into the world. And everybody has the opportunity to receive him. You can take that down. I'm not using that one, sorry. Everyone has the, the chance to receive him. Now, remember, I I said there's underlining misunderstanding of our world that I think causes angst and grief in us to not understand the fullness of God. And I just talked about that our world is full of sinners who need the salvation offered by God. I don't think in most Bible teaching churches that is our misunderstanding. I think most of us, if you've been sitting under the word and you've been in a faithful church as this and the preaching and the elders in here have taught you and you've been listening, you understand that the world is full of sinners and there's only grace through Jesus Christ. No other way. I I think we grasp that. Here's where I think we misunderstand the world still. I think we misunderstand the world and that we acknowledge that we are sinners, broken and fallen and others are likewise but we don't understand that the whole world, all creation, all governments, even nature itself down to the DNA is still broken and still corrupt. And it too needs redemption. And that won't be completed until Christ returns. And another way of saying it, it's all messed up still. It's all still lost. It's all still not working according to the way God wants it to. And I don't think we grasp that. I I was thinking an analogy on April 14th, what was it, 1912, the Titanic, which was the largest ship ever built at that time. It was the unsinkable ship, took off from England and, and it was headed here and there was such pride and pomp and it ought to be because it was one of the greatest things man had ever made but you know the story hit an iceberg and that iceberg went all the way down the starboard side i think the starboard side and and punched holes in its belly and its its air cavities uh that were supposed to keep it up no matter what started to fill with water and this happened, they hit the iceberg at 11.40 p.m. And within two hours and 40 minutes, the greatest ship ever made up to that point was invisible from the surface. Now imagine, remember I said it took two hours and 40 minutes. Now imagine two hours into this, 
there is a group of people running around. Where's the captain? They're, they're saying, where's the captain? Where's the captain? Somebody's saying, he's, he's over here, he's over here. They keep running. Where's the captain? Where's the captain? And finally, one of the midshipmen says, what? What do you want? And somebody says, are they going to open the galley again? Somebody says, hey, can I cast out, cash out my casino chips? And another lady says, hey, I need fresh linens in my room. That's absolutely Ridiculous, right? They are expecting smooth sailing on a ship that has irreparable damage. They are having expectations that just cannot be met. Is it possible? Now, I know this is difficult to hear because if Emmanuel, God come, it's a time of rejoice, but we can't rejoice deep enough and well enough and it can't sustain us unless we understand what he has done. Is it possible that your frustration, and, and, and if there's not a saint in here that has not had frustration or anxiety or despair in the last year, please help me know how you have done that. But most of us, have experienced that, and why? If we are honest and we break down all the pieces, usually there's some disappointment that brought us to it. James has this great part in, in his book where he, he talks about that we as humans, we have desires. I want this, I want that. And then we, we have these desires, and they might even be good desires, but we demand that they are met. Freedom, safety, this house, we have desires and we demand that they're met, but we're disappointed because we live in a fallen, broken world. And then so we damn, we desire, we demand, we're disappointed, and then we damn. This is my experience at times. And I see this in the church. And so in a situation like that, just adding Jesus to our life, just adding Jesus to my plan, adding Jesus to my circumstances and my work and just turning on some more Christian radio, it just doesn't seem to do it. Uh, this past week, I, I did a timeshare up in Carlsbad. Um, and we went up there and it was absolutely amazing overlooking the flower fields and the room was gorgeous. We could wake up, see the ocean. They had fresh coffee in there. Uh, it was ground floor so the kids could run around. Nobody would call the front desk on us. They had pools, they had pool tables, they had air hockey. And we went to this presentation and uh, the guy's just selling us on it. And, and, and he, he's, he's pointing out all the things. You travel, I travel, everybody travels. You're gonna spend money. You might as well spend your money here. And he's, and he's, he, he's basically saying everybody else is doing it. And you know what? You deserve it. You deserve it. And saints, that is us. We, we, we live with that kind of idea, thinking that everybody else is doing it and I deserve it and I want it and why don't I got it? Let's just meditate just for a second, a little bit deeper on this idea that as I've, I've used this illustration, where many of us are trying to uh, uh, get lemonade out of squeezing a dirty diaper. It's the analogy of that in this world, we're trying to get pleasure and hope and fulfillment and success and, and, and safety and all the things from this world that has the inability to give it to us. Here's why I think this is actually a very, this sermon is not a sermon I would preach where the forests are. 
So this isn't a sermon I would preach in, in many parts of uh, the world. But I think this is a sermon that is, is great for the American church. Americans are most likely to be deceived in this area of having a wrong understanding of the world we live in. The average life, I'm saying average. You and I all know people that struggle. But the average American's life is actually pretty good. Access to education, we have infrastructure, we have uh, security, we have police, we have governments, we have a different kind of AIDS, uh, we, we have plumbing, the forest. If you look on their Facebook, I think one of them just put, said that they ran out of running water or their running water doesn't work. They're having to collect rainwater. When's the last time you had to collect rainwater? The, the, our society is, is very, very blessed and praise God for it. Give thanks for it. One thing our society also does is we are very good at categorizing things. Like, you know how women are like pancakes where the syrup goes everywhere and men are like waffles and they can categorize. In a sense, America is like that. As I said before, we have abuse. We have poverty. We have injustice. We even have death. But one thing that is unique about America is we have the infrastructure to separate it from ourselves. Poverty, we have areas where the homeless can go. And you don't have to go over there. Uh, death and sickness, we have hospitals. Old people that are uh, losing uh, their ability to think and, and maybe bodily functions and those kind of things, we have places we can send them. We, we, we don't have orphanages, we have foster homes. Uh, we have wars, but they're overseas. I was watching this video called My Dog Skip with the boys and this guy, World War II, he was called off the war to go fight, you, you know, the, the enemy. And, and it was this picture perfect scene of what we are like. They all jumped in the truck, all these sailors and Marines in their new uniforms, excited to go off, fight the man. And they're smiling and their families are cheering and they're proud of them. And only a few come back and they're broken broken men. We, we, we have this idea about the world, but the reality is so far from us. We're not faced with, I remember watching this movie. I, I watched too many movies the, where they, they found this island, a bunch of uh, uh, young people found this island, men and women, and, and they set up camp on this island and created this whole community. And it was just heaven jumping off cliffs, everybody shared their, their food until months into this adventure, somebody was swimming and got bit by a shark. Well, they were far away from any kind of medical aid and this, they brought this guy in and uh, he started to get sick and he wasn't getting better and he started to moan and, and, and it just brought everybody down all the way to the point of they said, we gotta move this guy and they moved him off into the woods where they couldn't hear him so that he could die. And they could go on with their life. And in America, often we are, most of us, separated from the suffering that's regular in the world. When I was in Haiti, I went on a mission trip to Haiti. They took us out to this building and it was, you know, it, it looked like two public bathrooms at a park. It was all cement block. It was cement floors, no running water, no lights, no electricity. This is where they house the special needs folks of the village. There's nobody even watching them. They had to depend on the goodness of, of people's hearts to come out there and the churches to come out there and feed them. And with people with intellectual disabilities, not wearing clothes, crawling on the ground, defecating all over the place. And I still think 
One guy was there for 15 years, had been there for 15 years. No family, just a cot laying on the ground. That exists and they are there right now. The other night it was cold. I was coming home from a catering job and I have to kind of go right around here and it was, it was cold, it was, it was, it was freezing. And I, and I saw a homeless guy on the corner. I thought, I, 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 I wanna go see, I wanna see. You should see. Sometimes you should see. Sometimes you should look. Sometimes you should read up. And I drove by and there's a gas station. Everybody was bundled up. Most people were bundled up. I saw one guy who just wasn't prepared, a t-shirt, no shoes, walking across the gas station, nine o'clock at night, freezing. It exists even here, sex trafficking. Go to the kids' cancer wards in Nepal to uh, a woman recently read on the voices of martyrs. A woman was beaten and burned by her husband for worshiping Christ. Two pastors in North Korea escaped to China and then have North Koreans go into China and they would convert them. Well, North Koreans heard about this. The government snuck into China, abducted these pastors, and they're gone. Nobody's heard from them since. Now, in reality, this doesn't just happen out there. It does happen right here. It happens in your home. Suffering. The darkness creeps in. Cancer. Joblessness. Medical diagnosis. Depression. Wayward children. Bankruptcy. Singleness. Year after year of seeing, not hearing God's voice or direction. But here's what happens to us. This is what happens to us when we are, our response to this, when it happens to us, when we experience pain and suffering after being so saturated and seeing everyone else's joys through Instagram, through Facebook, by being, do you understand how saturated we are with this timeshare presentation of life, of these, these people got a new house. These people had a healthy baby. These people got, just got married. These people are moving. These people are enjoying life together. These people are having good family times. And when we go through pain and suffering, we say, what in the world is happening to me? We have a category for other people to kind of suffer. It kind of happens out there, but that's not the norm. When it happens to us, we say, what in the world is happening to me? See, we don't understand the world and the world doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense in our worldview. Suffering, silence from God, death, Alzheimer's. These things don't make sense to us except in the fact that either God has forgotten me or God doesn't love me. That's what we come to the conclusion of. And saints, that is so far from the truth. That is absolutely not the truth. I don't care what you're going through. First Peter 4, 12 says this, beloved, do not be surprised. That's what we always are. And listen to how he says, he calls them beloved, the beloved, those who Christ died for, beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening. When you lose your job, this isn't strange. When you get a cancer diagnosis, this isn't strange. When you have a wayward child, that's not strange. That's par for the course. God is in control of it. 
God uses it. This is not strange. He brings us to, to strengthen your faith. God has a bigger plan for you than HGTV. He's got a bigger plan for you than to have the greatest holiday. He's got a bigger plan for you than your health. This life and this world is not going to be easy. Just reading the scriptures shows us that. I mean, what is the, what is the symbol of Christianity, saints? It's a cross. I'm reminded of uh, the, the reformation that took place. Sometimes as a pastor, I get people ask me, why are there so many churches? Well, there used to be just one church and around the 1500s, this is the, the, the simplified version. You had this monk, Roman monk named Martin Luther and he started to read the scriptures in its own language and he started to look and read the scriptures and then he was looking at what the church taught and he says, it's like this. Here's what the church is teaching. Here's what the scriptures are teaching. And I feel like that's what happens in my own heart and is happening in the churches. The scriptures teach a very different story than what the world and the churches are teaching. The scripture teaches in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It goes on to teach, uh, look at this in Ephesians. You might be familiar with this passage in Ephesians 2, and you, you often say this to Christians to encourage them what God has done for them. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins of which you once walked, following the course of this world. You once walked this way, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived carrying out the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and of your mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We, we say this to Christians often, and you need to hear this. You once were that way, but now through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, you are not. But guess what? Those who have not yet received Emmanuel are still that way. The majority of the people that we live with, some of your family members, your children, your parents are this way. They are still dead in their trespasses and sins. They are still walking according to the course of this world. They still are following Satan. They're still living according to their passions and their mind and their desires. And so when they hurt you, when a government is corrupt, don't be surprised. I heard two pastors I highly respect on a panel recently and were asked, you know, what advice, how do you pastor now that the political climate is really changing and society's views are really changing against Christianity and church? And the first pastor, very mature and wise and godly man said, well, I'm really starting to teach my people things have changed. We got to act differently now. We got to adjust. We got to adapt. And he really mourned the loss of kind of the way and the freedoms that we once had. Understandably, they moved on to the second pastor and he says, how do I change? I don't change a single thing. From day one, when I entered my ministry 25 years ago and the first day that any pastor enters the ministry, you have to tell the people and you have to train the people that if you love Jesus and live according to the way Jesus lives, the world is going to hate you. 
That is the norm. Don't be surprised. Nothing has changed. I think that we have lost that and we need to focus on the good, but we have to have an understanding because if we have a false understanding that God wants you to be, uh, uh, and, and we push the prosperity gospel, prosperity gospel, we push away the prosperity gospel, says God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and just make you really up here. We say no to that. But honestly, don't we hold on to God wants me to, be in a job where all my gifts are being used. God wants me to be able to find affordable housing. God wants my car to not break down at all. God not want, doesn't want me to be anxious about my government and to have freedoms to worship. Really? I, you, you look at the saints and they suffered. And the world was, he, he, he says, uh, Jesus says in John 16, he says, um, you are in the world and the world is going to hate you. This is the way it is. This is the, it's sobering, but it's also not without great hope. It's not without great hope because isn't, if you have cancer, isn't it better for the doctor to just say, here's the issue, here's the cure. It's not helpful if you're just constantly fighting. And I bring up a dear person who was in my life, a saint who I believe is with the Lord, who had a two-year battle with cancer, cancer. And I wanted to go see this saint because I knew that the time was coming short. And they said, do not come see me if you think I'm dying. And I had to wiggle around. I said, no, I'm coming to see, I got some time off. I just have some time off. And this was across the country. I show up and I'm sitting there on their bed and I can see the brokenness. I can see what the cancer has done. And they look at me and they say, I'm not dying. God would not do this to me. This is not the story he has for me. Three weeks later, we buried her. Saints, God's stories, God's ways are not our story. It's not our ways. There is a, through suffering and trials, we come to understand we're made more like Christ. We're sanctified. James 1 says, count all joy when you trace trials of various kinds. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am made strong. These aren't just like on your plates. They're not just above your door. This is life. This is your, your struggle. This is the, the reality of your struggle. And once you grasp that, then you'll start to understand, one, that being saved is amazing. That's what he came to do. He came to save you from your sins, from the eternal judgment. And Paul says that salvation that we have is is so much greater that the suffering of this age is nothing compared to the joy that is to be ours at the end. So yes, we might have to write and align our our view of this world and do that through reading and and hearing the other people's stories, entering into their suffering. I love Harbor, how you guys do that so well. You don't block, put on blinders to the suffering of the world. And every gift that you have, rejoice in it. But don't put your hope in it. I love how the, in Hebrews, it talks about those who were mighty of faith. And it, it mentions people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And it says this in, in there. And he goes on, he also mentions those who were uh, uh, cut in two, those who were tortured, those who were suffered, those who were flogged, those who were stoned, those who were killed with the sword. 
mentions all this, but this is what it says about them. These all died in faith. Receive, they did not receive the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from far off and having acknowledged that they were yet strangers and exiles on this earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been seeking the land from which they had gone out, they could have returned, but they turned their back against that and they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, in other words, these saints knew that this world is not their home. That suffering and and dissatisfaction and gaps and holes and longing and hurts and pains are part of this world. But there's a better world coming. And they wouldn't trade that world for anything in this world. This is what God says about them and says about you if you hold to this. He says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. That's a city I want to live in. And to close it up, wrap it up briefly, we need to have a correct understanding of this world, and now we need to have a correct understanding of what Jesus is. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Can you please put up the slide of Hebrews? In Hebrews, it gives us this beautiful uh, reality. For we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect is eight, was, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is a high priest. He's the one that atoned for our sins. Like we had talked about, he, he delivered us from the wrath of God. As a priest was a mediator in the Old Testament for the people of God so that God would not smoke them, Jesus is the perfect mediator. And he's not only the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. He carries it all perfectly, but I want to focus on this. A high priest is somebody that mediated on behalf of the people to God. He's somebody that listened to the people's problems. The people would come and, and they would pour out their hearts. I don't have this. I'm, I, I'm without child. I'm suffering. I'm sick. Please help me. And the priest was an old man. He was a wise man. He was a man who had lived and suffered and understood the pain of his people. Therefore, he could go to God. And look at the beauty of this. God could not raise up a man because we, all of us are sinners to be a good high priest. He couldn't do it because then they would have sin and they couldn't satisfy God's wrath. So what he did is God came down and what he gave him was suffering so that he could be a perfect priest. Jesus was made perfect by his suffering. And so you and I have a high priest in this dark world on this Titanic that's going down, but we have, we have Jesus. We know we're gonna be saved from the, the horrific waters. He also gave us Help. He gave us Jesus. And saints, this doesn't always comfort us. Because how does Jesus really know my pain? He's God, right? Of course he could deal with all this. He was God. He's not a man like me with brokenness and weakness. Well, he was truly God and truly man. And in his true humanity, the fullness of it, he does understand us. Listen to this. Have you ever felt betrayed? Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Have you ever felt not understood? Jesus' brothers doubted him, thought he was a maniac, thought he was just, a, just prideful. Do you ever feel like your parents don't understand you? 
Jesus' parents couldn't grasp who he was. Have you ever lost a loved one, a parent? Jesus lost his father. Have you ever struggled with poverty? Jesus was poor. Have you ever been hungry, not known where the next meal was gonna come? Jesus was hungry. Have you ever been thirsty? Jesus was thirsty. Have you ever had wayward children? Jesus looked at Jerusalem. He says, like a mother hen, I long to put you under my wings that I may nurture you, but you wouldn't have it. Were you ever tired? Jesus slept in a boat. Were you ever trying to get away, but you just couldn't? Jesus tried to escape to the other side of the lake and they all were there for him. Were you ever just sick down to your bone with the injustice? Jesus was so sick with it. He saw it every day. He turned over tables. Were you ever frustrated that people weren't loving one another? Jesus had to deal with the disciples. Did you ever want to not do something because it was hard? Jesus said, Father, is there any other way? Have you ever felt like you don't have a home? Jesus was on the move from the time he was born to Egypt and back to Egypt, from Nazareth to Galilee to Capernaum. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no home. Have people ever tried to use you? The people came to Jesus because they wanted bread, not what he really had. Jesus gets you. Jesus gets me. He's with us in the ship. He understands. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The situation is worse than you and I have imagined it. We've been blessed to live where we are. But the hope and the reality of what Jesus gives us is greater than anything else. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word that gives us this reality, corrects our compass, helps us to understand our suffering. It puts us in context that nothing strange has happened. It reminds us that we are not alone, that you are present, that we ought not to just douse our life with Jesus but we are to govern our life, be saturated with him, to have him the center and have our life work around him. I pray, Lord, as we enter this meal, you would fill us now with this sacrament as you filled us with your words so that we too may be like those great saints of old and journey faithfully and exile faithfully in faith. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.